October 21st, 2006, down in Tixtla, uh, the Diocese of Chilpancingo, Chilape, Mexico. It was a nun, a religious sister, an avowed religious, who was assisting a priest in distributing communion, and she began to cry. As she looked down at the ciborium, she was distributing the Blessed Sacrament from, uh, one of the pieces of the Blessed Sacrament was effusing this red substance. Well, uh, they decided to do an investigation. The bishop got involved. They got scientists involved to find out what was going on here. They began to analyze uh, this red substance, and they discovered that it corresponded to blood hemoglobin. They found DNA of human origin in this red substance. They began to do further studies. They brought in forensic experts, respected experts. They tried different methodologies. They discovered that this substance couldn't have come from the outside. It was very clear that it originated from the interior. Someone could not have placed it on from the outside. They also discovered that it had blood type AB. So this is the blood type that is always seen in Eucharistic miracles around the world. And it's the blood type that was found on the Shroud of Turin, the cloth that is said to have wrapped the body of our Lord when he was in the grave. They also discovered that uh, in doing these immunohistochemical studies, that the tissue that this, rubs, this red substance composed of corresponded to the muscle of the heart. So at the end of this investigation, the bishop proclaimed that there was no natural explanation to what had happened here. It was a Eucharistic miracle. Today we're celebrating Corpus Christi. So corpus, or corpse, means body, right? Uh, and Christi, meaning Christ, the body of Christ. How Christ becomes present within the Mass in a special, in a unique way this great gift that we have. Our bishops, including Bishop Lopes of the Ordinariate, all across the United States, are beginning today a Eucharistic revival. It's a two-year process calling us back to the Lord, calling us back to the Mass. It ends uh, in, I think, 2024 in Indianapolis. There's going to be a nationwide Eucharistic Congress. And so we're being asked, especially beginning today, over these next two years, to reflect on what we believe as Catholics, this uh, great mystery of our Lord coming in our midst in this miraculous way, to be with us. And so I'd like to talk to you about this today, this solemnity of Corpus Christi, what it means, and how we should respond, what it means for you and for me. As Catholics, we believe that what takes place up here at the altar, what the Eucharist is, is a sacrifice. This is how it's always been explained from very early times. You can go back and read the writings of early Christians in the first few centuries. Folks like uh, Ignatius of Antioch, Justin Martyr, Irenaeus, Tertullian. A lot of these folks would point to Malachi chapter 1. So this is an Old Testament prophecy hundreds of years before Christ, and he said that there was going to be a sacrifice 
that would be sacrificed on altars all over the world. So he couldn't have been, and he called this a pure and holy sacrifice, the best of sacrifices. You can't be describing a Jewish sacrifice at the temple because there's only one altar there, not all over the world. But he was proclaiming, he was prophesying about something else that was to come. The fathers of the church teach that it is the mass, this sacrifice of the body of Christ, Corpus Christi, that we celebrate today. So the question then is, is what exactly is this? So how is it a sacrifice and, 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 and why is it offered? What, what's, what's going on here? Well, it goes way back. So let's, let's uh, uh, go back to uh, Egypt in the 14th century before Christ. There was what took place that was, became known as the Passover. So the children of Israel, the Israelites were uh, slaves, captives there in Egypt, and God freed them through a series of plagues. The last, the last plague was the death of the firstborn. That if the Egyptians would not let the Israelites go, that the firstborn child of each family would die. This is the plague of the firstborn. And yet, there was a way around this. The Lord told Moses to tell the people that if they would sacrifice a lamb, and if they would partake of this sacrifice, they had to eat it, then when the angel of death came, he would pass over. And that's exactly what happened. The Israelites sacrificed a lamb. They partook of the lamb. They ate it. And, the, and the, it, the lamb passed over. There were also some Egyptians, not many, but a few Egyptians who also did this. And the angel of death also passed over them. This is the Passover. So fast forward uh, a few hundred years to Christ. He came. He's proclaimed in Scripture as the true Passover lamb, the one who would die for all of us, the perfect lamb who would die for us, so that punishment could be passed over you and I. But just like the Passover lamb is back in Egypt, the Passover lamb that is Christ, in order for you to, uh, to do this correctly, you have to partake of him. You have to eat of him. And this is what he said in his teaching. He said, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can have no part in me. So how do you do that then? You know, what do you, what do you ask Lord? You want us to like kneel down and start gnawing on your leg? What, what, how exactly do we do this? How do you eat him? The answer to this question can start to be found very early. Uh, if you go back about 20 centuries to uh, the, before Christ, you heard about this story in the Old Testament reading about between Abraham and Melchizedek. Abraham comes to him, this priest Melchizedek, who brings out bread and wine. It's kind of this first kind of inkling of the perfect sacrifice that would come. Fast forward about 700 years to the 14th century, the children of Israel, before Christ, the children of Israel have been freed out of their slavery in Egypt, and they're there in the deserts, and God gives them this supernatural food, manna from heaven, bread from heaven. Fast forward again to the first century, to the time of our Lord. Here he is. He's born into a town called Bethlehem. Bethlehem means house of bread, interestingly. His mother places him into a manger, into a feeding trough that gets eaten from. And then as an adult, he 
multiplies these loaves and fishes, does this supernatural miracle of feeding thousands of people, and begins to explain this miracle by saying that he is the true bread, that he is the supernatural food. He's the true manna, that they need to eat of him, to drink, eat his flesh and drink his blood. So how do you do that? He fully explained this at the Last Supper when he held up the bread and he said, this is my body, held the wine and said, this is my blood. Partake, eat, do this in memory of me. And so we understand from the teaching of our Lord that at the Mass, the bread and the wine are transformed. They're no longer bread and wine. They become the body, blood, soul, and divinity of Christ. St. Paul confirmed this in 1 Corinthians 11. He said that when you come and partake, he said, if you do not discern the body and blood of the Lord, meaning if you don't believe that this is what happens at the Mass, then uh, you will be taking judgment upon yourself. It's a blasphemous action at that point. Uh, So if you don't believe it, uh, don't partake of it. Be true to what your beliefs are, because if you don't believe it and you partake of it, you're taking judgment on yourself. But it said, believe that what our Lord taught is true. So that not judgment, but great blessing. You can actually take the body, blood, soul, and divinity into yourself. So why does the bread and the wine transform at the Mass? It transforms so that you can partake, so that you can uh, take our Lord, the perfect sacrifice, into yourself. So this is what we mean when we say that the, the Mass is a sacrifice. You know, this is especially emphasized in this form of the Mass, where the priest stands on the same side of the altar as you do. That we're all, all of us together, uniting with the person of Christ in the priest and offering ourselves up as a sacrifice, uniting with Christ's sacrifice. This is what the Mass is all about. Christ becomes present so we can unite with him be joined with him, partake of him at the Mass. However, something even more than that happens, more than simply you know, partaking of Christ, partaking of this sacrifice, these are good things to do, but it doesn't end there. Something happens to you. When you partake of Holy Communion, it transforms you. You are transformed into Christ. You're transformed into a part of his body. You're transformed into a sacrifice. You know, it changes your identity. Remember what Christ said? He said, anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood, I will raise him up on the last day. You become part of his body. You become one of his members. You're joined with him. And so when you're not here, when you don't make it to mass, that means that part of the body is missing because this is part of your identity, part of who you are. You know, it's kind of like uh, a wife. You know, her husband asks her to come and see him. So she does, but she gets there and she realizes that she has, she's left her ears behind. She's left a part of who she is. She can't be fully present to the Lord, or to, to her husband, I should say. So she can't be fully present to her husband because she can't hear what she has to say. Uh, there's an early um, quote from a third century document. It says, Let no one deprive the church by staying away. If they do, they deprive the body of Christ of one of its members. When you partake of our Lord, it transforms you into part 
of the body of Christ. That's why it's so important that when Christ shows up, you and I show up. It's part of our identity. It's part of who we are. However, it does something even more than change uh, your identity as being a part of the body of Christ. It changes you into a sacrifice. So you're partaking of a sacrifice when you do that. You're transformed into a sacrifice. This is why, you know, we can't really keep this to ourselves. It's contrary to what Christ did. He died for us. And so when you partake of the sacrifice of our Lord, this is the sacrifice of love. You are then transformed into a sacrifice for others. It permeates you every part of your life. The Eucharist impels you to hear the cry of the poor, to respond to the vulnerable, the unborn, migrants, refugees, victims of racial injustice, victims of prejudice and misunderstanding, the sick and the elderly. You can't keep the Eucharist to yourself. It transforms who you are. Pope Meredith Benedict XVI said of the Blessed Sacrament, the love that we celebrate in the sacrament is not something we can keep to ourselves. By its very nature, it demands to be shared with all. This is what the world needs. It needs God's love. It needs to encounter Christ, to really encounter him. And the way to do that is in the Eucharist. It's through you who have been joined in the Eucharist, in the Blessed Sacrament. So when you partake, not only does it transform your identity into that of the body of Christ, but you become a sacrifice, a living sacrifice along with Christ. You're renewed, strengthened, but you're made to go forth and to sacrifice yourself for others. That is what the Eucharist does. The true presence of Christ transforms you into him. Blessed Carlos Acutis, an Italian teenager who died back in 2006, one of the church's newest saints, he would say that the Eucharist is my highway to heaven. It was because of the centrality of the Eucharist in his life that he became a saint at such a young age. I think it was around 15 when he died. Didn't come from a, uh, a very practicing Catholic family, but the way that he lived his life with the Eucharist at his center transformed him and had effect on all those around him, including his parents, who were drawn back to the church through his life. You know, Carlo, Blessed Carlo, he attended Mass daily. He spent time daily adoring our Eucharistic Lord. He had this great joy from his friendship with Jesus, and he brought this joy to others. In his everyday life, he did it on the internet uh, in, in every way that he could. People were drawn and attracted to the joy that they seen in Blessed Carlo Acutis. St. Teresa of Calcutta, she once said, once you understand the Eucharist, you can never leave the church. Not because the church won't let you, but because your heart won't let you. It's this Eucharist which, in which Christ becomes uniquely present, through which you're transformed into the life-giving sacrifice of Christ. Christ.